let's uh, jump in to our uh, sermon series where we're right now we're looking at things that Jesus did. Like, what is it about, like, if we want to live the Jesus way, let's look at what Jesus did. What habits did he have? What patterns did he show us in his own life? And so um, we'll, we'll kind of take a look at that. And so I am, I'm a, I don't know if any of you guys identify with this, but I'm a sucker for um, documentaries or movies that are about like extreme wilderness situations or mountain climbing. There used to be a series, a documentary series about uh, climbing Everest every season. I loved that series so much. It was so good. I just, I, I just would eat it up. And then the whole time I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I'm going to do that. I'm going to climb Everest someday. I'm going to save up like $40,000, and I'm going to go do that, and, like I'm Richard Branson or something, right? And so, and and I, I just loved watching that. There was a documentary I watched just recently on Netflix about some guys that climbed this peak that hadn't been climbed before and all the stuff they had to go through to do it. It was great. I just loved that. And every time I watch it, it just sucks me in to thinking, oh, I got to do something like that. I got to do something like that. And here's the truth about it. I hate snow. I hate sweating. I hate uh, exerting myself in pretty much any way. I hate, I mean, like all, everything about what it would take to climb a mountain I hate doing, but I just get drawn into it. Like, I, I can be that guy. I can do that. You know, I was just like, ah, oh, if that loser can do it, so can I. And, you know, just, I just, I love that stuff so much. But, the, but if I'm really honest with myself, I would cry and want to go home after like day two, probably. Like, I just, I just, it's just not ultimately who I am, you know, just to do, do that sort of thing. And so I, I, I think a lot of times when it comes to the Christian life, we can be kind of that same way. We hear the stories of Jesus, or we hear maybe the stories of, of really incredible people who follow Jesus. We see the things that they're doing with their life and the sacrifices that they make and the, the way they help people. And, and we look at that and we go, ah, I want to do that too. I want to do that too. And then, and then you then your reality sets you. It's like, oh yeah, I hate people, right? And so you do that thing where it's like, I want to put myself in their shoes, but at the same time, some of us find it really difficult, really difficult to do that. Like we, we like the idea of living the Christian life, but when it comes to actually practicing the Christian life, like, that's a whole different ballgame, right? And so, like, I, I want to just kind of um, push, uh, push our comfort zones a little bit this morning and, and, and maybe challenge us to really look at one of the things that Jesus was all about. And, 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 and my hope this morning is that you look at that and you, you, you just take some time to think about it. Don't make the emotional, I want to climb Everest decision this morning, but rather take it home Pray about it and let it kind of sit with you for a while and ask God to begin to stretch you in ways that might make you a little bit uncomfortable, but that are ultimately really good for you and good for the kingdom of God. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter, I'm, I'm sucking on a butterscotch here. Sorry about that. Anybody else like old people candy? I love a butterscotch. I love a butterscotch. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell my joke now. You're making me do this. So, 
<laughs> so Wes wanted to change. I love the I love the Wow team. Wes wanted to change the name to uh, the Set team. I was like, yeah, it's whatever. You're leading. Change it as long as I don't have to do anything. And so, so anyway, so he he's changed the Set team, which is great. I, I love I love the acronym. But at the men's retreat, I I told him we should change it actually to the Mime team, which would be uh, Man, I miss Ellen. <laughs> Ellen used to be the leader of the team. Anyway, she moved away. So, anyway. <laughs> good stuff. All right. So, you made me do it. You made me do it. All right. By the way, when Wes was doing the announcement, didn't you feel a little bit like you were in trouble? Just a little bit. Just, it's got that coach voice, just that natural coach voice. Awesome. I love it. Love it. Okay. So, uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is... Um, this really great uh, passage of scripture where Jesus, you know, he's, he's into his ministry. Uh, things, you know, once again, kind of, I feel like I'm saying the same thing every week, but things are picking up steam in his ministry. But he heads back to his hometown of Nazareth. And, uh, and so if you've ever, if you've ever like left your hometown as a young person, made something of yourself and come back to your hometown and everybody treats you like the same punk that you were when you were, you know, 16 or whatever, uh, you're going to understand a little bit what Jesus was going uh, through here in this situation. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that Jesus was a punk at 16, but, but uh, you know, just that idea of, you know, trying to outlive people's memories of your younger version of yourself or whatever. So he, he shows up in Nazareth, and uh, he uh, decides to go. It's on the Sabbath day. He's going to go to the, um, the synagogue, uh, for prayer, you know, for prayer and scripture reading, and that's it was kind of the tradition. So he was going to do that, and um, he again had begun to get some reputation as a really great teacher, a really great teacher, a really great prophet, and so the people in his hometown were actually very excited to have him back in town, and uh, they invited him. I, my dad used to do this when um, when he was a pastor. Well, he still is a pastor, but um, where. You know, if, if if preacher, if another preacher ever walked in the door of my dad's church, my dad would try to get him to preach that that you know, like, hey, I'd love for you to preach and let me sit down for once. You know, I mean, he would just do that, and and so this is what was happening with Jesus. He shows up at the synagogue, and and as he shows up, the leaders are like, hey, why don't you why don't you come forward and and pick pick a scripture and read it for us? And so Jesus does that, and he. Uh, asks for the scroll. Everything was in scrolls. He asked for the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Now, in this scroll, Isaiah is full of all these prophecies, a lot of which are about um, the time in which Isaiah lived, but some of the prophecies in uh, in his book are about the coming of the Messiah, the one who would set things right for Israel again, who would deliver them from their captors, who would bring them to a place of power again, uh, all this kind of stuff. And so, and, and the most famous prophecy in the book of Isaiah that dealt with the coming of the, the prediction, the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah was the one that Jesus asked for and opened up to and read. And so he reads this prophecy, I'm, I'm going I'm to spoil it for you. So he reads this prophecy, and there's kind of a hush in the room, and he rolls it back up, sets it aside, and looks at the group that's gathered and says, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your eyes. In other words, what he was saying is, that Messiah you guys have been hoping for, that's me. 
Now, that doesn't go over well. That may not go over well in a lot of different towns, but to the kid, to the people who saw you as a kid and saw you grow up, it certainly doesn't go over well. They're like, who do you think you are? You're, aren't you the guy that was the carpenter's son? Uh, it's not like you had any kind of position or authority. or I mean, it just didn't, didn't sit well. In fact, one of the versions of this of telling of the story tells us that the people got really angry and drove him out of town and tried to kill him, right? Like, that's how well this did not sit with people. <laughs> like, I don't know if you've ever said anything that where people were like, yeah, you got to die. Like, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad day in anybody's book, right? And so, so anyway, he... Uh, Scott, I see you nodding your head. You're a city councilman. I know you understand that concept. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, every week I experience that. So um, <laughs> um, anyway, so, so Jesus, let, let me read to you the prophecy that Jesus read. And it's uh, Luke 4, uh, we'll start with uh, uh, verse 17. It says this, and the, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, and this is, what, this is what he read. This is the prophecy. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolls up the scroll and says, ta-da, it's me, right? Now, This passage is, you know, when we talk a lot about Jesus' mission and the mission that he left to us as his followers, and we'll read a lot of times passages like Matthew 28 with the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples, you know, all that kind of stuff, and, and, uh, and maybe we'll pull out some other uh, verses. And I don't often hear this one when Jesus was identifying himself with the mission of the Messiah, and he picks this verse and reads that to let him let people know this is what he's all about. And if we're supposed to be all about the things that Jesus were about, it it kind of also makes this our mission as well. And I don't know if I hear this being emphasized a lot in churchland. Um, Look at that one more time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you read all the rest of the stories, I don't have time to read them all, but if you read all the rest of the stories of, of Jesus, you'll see that this is what he did in the lives of people over and over and over and over. He was all about setting people free, setting people free from spiritual bondage, setting people free from physical bondage of their, uh, you know, their ailments and, and their diseases and, and whatever else they might, you know, their, their uh, handicaps. He, he would set people free from, you know, or, or, or speak on behalf of the poor, the oppressed, the people who had no voice, the woman caught in adultery, the the you know what what with the beggar on the street, he, it was he was constantly lifting up all the forgotten and overlooked people around him. 
constantly. You can't, you can't read the stories of Jesus and get away from that fact. His life, everywhere he went, he was lifting people up that the rest of society were trying to walk around and ignore. Over and over and over and over. And, and I think sometimes we really miss the boat on that mission. Like, like I, I, I'm a follower of Christ. I've been a follower of Christ my whole life. And so I, I, I think I'm beginning now, after 40 years of following Jesus, I, I think I've, I've, I'm beginning now to understand a little bit more of his heart for the world and his heart for, you know, the kind of people his heart goes out to and that sort of thing. I be, think I'm beginning to understand that more and more. And, and so my heart, because I love Christ, my heart naturally goes out to to the same people. Yeah, I, I, I think, it, and I don't know if you're like me in this, I think a lot of times I live in a lot of um, guilt or regret that maybe I'm not doing more. That, that serving uh, people who are kind of forgotten by society or overlooked or have no voice or whatever you want to say, that I sometimes feel guilty that that instinct doesn't come more natural to me. That I have to really think about it and make myself do it and that it's not a part of the regular rhythm of my life any more than it is. Not that it doesn't have a place, but do you guys understand what I'm saying? That that just like, ah, it seems like I should maybe, if I'm, if I'm really going to follow Jesus and call myself a Christ follower, then maybe there's something more I should be doing. There's little more heart change that I got to go through to align myself with his values and the things that are important to him and, and just kind of get through all. Like I'm, I'm still, still 40 years into my faith trying to process all of that and how do I make that a part of the rhythms of my life? And, and, and we do this stuff in church in, in ways, that we, that ways that we can do it, but if you're like me, I sit back thinking, is it enough? Is it, is it enough? Is, is the reason that, like I did the, this was, you know how your Facebook memories come up uh, every day, and, and, and I love reading my Facebook memories because they're better than anything else I read on Facebook that particular day. And, and so, so anyway, but I, this one memory came up from a few years ago where um, I actually had done the math, and this, I don't remember, five, maybe five, six years ago. I'd done the math of the number of people in our nation who call themselves Christian. And, and then uh, if, every, if, if you take that number and, and you take the median income of the nation, if every one of those people were tithing on that median income, uh, the number came up to almost exactly, within just a couple million dollars, almost exactly to the number that we as a nation spend on things like welfare and public assistance. Almost exactly. But the truth of the matter is that, again, by statistics, the, the amount, the percentage that most Christians tithe was way, way, way below that, way below that. And so there's a part of me that looks at that and going, you know, if, especially if you're, uh, you know, conservative in your political leanings or whatever, and and you have, you know, problems with the, the level of public assistance that's out there. And, and that's, I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying if that's your leaning, 
a lot of us would go, uh, you know, God's given this responsibility to the church. It's not the government's job, it's the church's job. But if the church isn't doing its job, God's still going to make sure these people get taken care of in some way. And so how do we balance all that out and take the burden of caring for the poor, caring for the oppressed, caring for the, the sick, caring for the imprisoned, caring for all these people that were called the widow, the orphan, all these people that were called to, to give our lives to and to speak up for and to give our, our, our money to and our assistance to and our possessions to. Like, how do we, again, how do we live that out in a way that's effective? And there are some people that are really good at it that just have this heart for it and they're super organized and they go out and they start these massive ministries, you know, they just start these massive ministries where it's just like, oh, man, you know, they saw a problem in their community and they started up this ministry and that actually helps to solve that problem in their community in a really big, organized way that impacts a lot of people. And you look at those people and you go, um, ah, that's amazing. Like, it's amazing how they were able to rally people to support that cause, to organize it in a way that was helpful to get the word out so the people who need help get the help. Like, like you look at that and you go, thank God for those people. And then, and then you, again, if you're like me, you feel this kind of nagging thing in your own life where it's like, again, am I doing enough? Am I, am I really living like Jesus or am I just kind of going through the motions here? Now, before I go any further, I, I, I don't want to confuse anyone and to, to think that our caring for the poor or the forgotten or the voiceless is going to earn us a spot in heaven. This is still free grace, a gift of God, you know, that it, it, it's not something that we work for. But when we become a part of the Jesus family, there are certain responsibilities that go with being a part of that family, living like Jesus, right? And so, so I just want to make sure I'm about that. Like I, you may have heard me tell the story before. I remember when I was a kid, my dad taking me out, and, and uh, we just had this day where we went out to like this uh, junk shop, just kind of browsing around. And I remember on the drive there, on the drive back, my dad kind of outlining for me this, this sense of pride in our family name. He was like, you know, you're, you're a Myers. And one of the, some of the things that go with being a Myers are we're, we're people of integrity, we're people of our word. It's important to us as, as, My, as the Myers family that when somebody in our family says something, other people that hear that know they can count on that, that it'll be true, that it'll be honest, that we'll... We'll do what we, you know, so he's, he's, he's trying to instill this sense of integrity in me rooted in, uh, rooted in my heritage and in my family name and things like that, right? And, and so there's also that sense of when you carry the name of Christ, there's stuff that goes with that name. When you, when you tell people you're a Christ follower, there's a level of expectation about how you live your life and what your priorities are that are inherent in you being a Christ follower. You, you, we all get that? So it's not that you do those things to earn your salvation. You do those things because salvation has given to you because you've been granted membership into the kingdom of God, into the family of God. And membership has its privileges and it also has its responsibilities. It also has its responsibilities. 
So what I want to outline for you uh, for the next few minutes is, is this. Uh, it's just this, it's my only point for the day is this. Use your voice, your hands, your stuff, and money to set people free. Use your voice, your hands, your stuff, and your money to set people free. This is part of what following Christ is all about. This is one of the things that those people who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, that we should be about this. Use your voice on behalf of those who have no voice, who are forgotten, who are overlooked, who are um, uh, minimalized in our society. Uh, to be a voice for them, to advocate for them, to, to speak up on their behalf or with them or help them speak up or whatever, but use your voice for the well-being of others around you that may not have the platform or the voice that you have. Jesus did this over and over. Use your, your hands, and I want to include in, in, in this concept also just the way you spend your time. Use the, what you do with your time for the betterment of people around you. Like, how are you, like, is your time all about you? Is it all about your agenda, your goals, your whatever? Or are you finding ways to work into the way you live your life? Are you finding ways to lift up other people around that with the time that you spend? Maybe it's with a neighbor, with somebody that you see, you know, whatever. Use your stuff and your money. Money's the, in some ways, the easier one because it's really easy to kind of give a donation or, or whatever. And, and that's, that's needed. That's, that's important. Um, stuff is a little different. We tend to, stuff, stuff has possession to it. We, it that's my stuff. <laughs> you know, I've got my stuff. You go get your stuff, you know? And we, we kind of do this from an early age where we're, you know, it's like, um, you know, I, I, my, I hear my, my, my daughters talking about, their, no, that's my shirt, that's your shirt. You know, that's, and we, we divide up our stuff and we make little piles and huddles of our stuff. And that goes on into adulthood where we kind of hold our stuff closely and tightly. And, and, but what if your stuff isn't about you? What if God gave you your stuff not, for, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of other too, others too? What if, what if he gave you the house that he gave you so that you could occasionally open it up to others who need a place to stay? What if he gave you the, the car he gave you so that you could uh, give somebody a ride who can't get where they need to go? What if he, uh, you know, on, I could go on and on and on, right? I mean, I think you guys get that. What if, what if we held our stuff with open hands and God was allowed to recall it at any time he needed it for the betterment of other people? I mean, for those of you who are missional in your thinking and you're, and you're, you're like, we need to get back to the first century church and Acts church and all that kind of stuff. I mean, part of getting back to that church is to do exactly that. They, had, they held all things in common. That's what we're told. That first church is like, my stuff is your stuff. Your stuff is my stuff, right? We, we hold all things in common. And some of you are already getting fidgety because common, that's like the first part of communism, right? And so... <laughs> what do I do with that, you know? And so, so like your American stuff is getting in the way of your kingdom stuff, and, 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 and again, it's your stuff, right? 
So, like, but again, what if we did this? What if we use our voice, our hands, our stuff, and our money to really set people free? To really set people free? I, I'm sure a lot of you in the room will identify with this, but, I mean, I've been there at different points in my own life where I feel in bondage to my financial situation. Anybody else ever felt in bondage to your financial situation? Yeah, a lot of us, a lot of us. You just go through seasons of life where that happens. You know, maybe it's when you're first starting out or maybe it's through the loss of a job or, or medical bills piling up or, or wh- who knows what, it, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen in life that make you feel in bondage to your own financial situation. And I've been on the receiving end of a lot of generosity. And, I, and I'm at a point in life now where I want to be on the opposite side of that equation. I want to be on the on the giving end of that. So many, I've been blessed in so many ways. I want to be a blessing to others. And, um, and not just with my income, but, but with my stuff, with my time, with, my, with the way I speak up for people. Like I want, I want to do that. I really want to do that. So like how do we balance out this? <clears throat> you know, we see other people starting their big ministries, their big initiatives and things like that. It's like, wow, I, you know. We're so moved and impressed by that stuff. Um, but, it, but it appears like the Everest. And to think of doing something similar is just like, I, I don't think I'm equipped to do that. I don't think I could do that. I don't, you know, I don't, whatever. And so how, but how do I make sure I'm living this life that Jesus called us to, to live? How do I make sure I'm doing this, that I'm proclaiming good news to the poor and setting the, uh, you know, at liberty the captives and and recovery of sight to the blind and liberty to those who are oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. How do I do this in a way that is meaningful if I'm not the start the big initiative, start the big ministry guy or gal? And what I find really hopeful about looking at Jesus' example and Jesus' life is that Jesus never started the big ministry. <laughs> Jesus never started the big initiative. He didn't look around at the poor and go, all right, I need to meet with the government officials. We need to get something, something going. Let's gather all the, the elders of the city together, and you know we're going we're gonna to organize. We're, there was nothing like that. What did Jesus do? Jesus saw one. He would see one person in need, and he would help that one person. He would, he would see a, a few people over here in need, and he would, he would help those few. He just, again, Part, you know, the, the opening part of that, that scripture that he read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, part of living a spirit-led life is following the spirit in all the details of your day and allowing the spirit to point out people. Like, I, I can't help everybody. I can't fix homelessness. I can't fix poverty. But I can lift up one person. If, if the Holy Spirit like puts somebody on my mind, that I think the, the key to really living this out in a very spirit-led way is for a lot of us, we've gotten to the habit of kind of pushing the voice of the Holy Spirit aside because we got to get to our next place. We gotta, you know, we've got things to do. I, I don't know if I can afford that or if I got the time for, for it's it's gonna be complicated. And so we just kind of push all that out. We give ourselves all the reasons why, but if we can learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit just in our day-to-day life to go, oh, man, I can't get that guy I just saw out of my head or, or that kid that looked like something was going on in their day and 
and I kind of brush past them. Maybe I should go back and ask if everything's okay. Um, it's just little nudges like that that we get all the time, all the time from the Holy Spirit. Constantly throughout our day, we get these nudges, and we have become so accustomed to pushing them aside that it's, it's just the Holy Spirit has become the white noise throughout our day. It's just, it's just, we've gotten so good at deflecting. But what if, what if we just began to listen again? What if we opened up our heart and our ears, our, our spirits, and we just began to listen again to where the Holy Spirit is nudging and going, again, I can't, I can't do everything, I can't fix everything, but I, but I can help that one. I can, I, can, I can do something about this one. And, and, and I think that the world begins to look more like the kingdom of God, not through major initiatives and major programs, but it begins to look more like the kingdom of God when we all begin just helping the one that God put in our way that day. And that's achievable. I'm not saying it's easy. It's oftentimes not easy at all just to help one. But it's achievable. Like I felt God this week stretching me in a way that was uncomfortable. I won't go into the details for the privacy of the person involved, but but just put a person on my heart that I that I was like, I, I think I can do something. It's it's gonna, it's not gonna be easy, but I think I can do something here. And reaching out and and as I reached out to this person this week, saw, saw freedom come to their eyes. I didn't solve the whole problem with society, but, but, I, but I found one captive person and, and helped them feel like they may have found some freedom. And I, I just think that now, now, some of you, some of you will be called to the initiatives. Some of you will be called to the the big, the big grandiose plans and programs, and and that's awesome. And I love that when when we get to see that. That's just amazing. But we're all called to the day to the to the day to day. Every single one of us can look around and and just be aware of our surroundings and be aware of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. There's a lot of people in need. I pass by every day that. I may not feel necessarily feel some sort of connection to her or nudging to do something, but every day there's also somebody at least that I do feel that with. Like I feel like I need to do do something extra here, not just pass them by, speak to them. Just like I can tell, it can be something as simple as you can just see it on a coworker's face that it is not a good day for them. Like they're crushed in some way. And what if rather than because our, our, for a lot of us, our natural response is to be like, oh, don't want to get involved in that. I'll just leave them alone. What, what if, if when we saw those people that seemed to be hurting, that we work with every single day or go to school with every single day, what if, what if we just took a moment for a conversation? It's like, hey, is everything okay? Anything I can do? Like, what if we just opened up those opportunities for, for gospel to happen, for, for liberty and freedom to take place in someone's life just just by caring just that much, you know, just by just by opening up a little bit. Again, I 
I think I can do that, and I think all of us can do that. I think, I think that's something that, again, that's very attainable and that, that, that we can be more like Jesus. Jesus didn't start the big program. He didn't start the big initiative or whatever. He didn't, you know, he didn't start the soup kitchen, but he did. He, he just did what he could do. I love the story when you get to Acts of, of um, you know, Peter and some of the other disciples coming across a, a, a beggar. And, uh, and Peter's response to this guy is, uh, silver and gold, I don't have any of that, but what I have I give to you freely, and he just gives him the gospel. So it's like, you know, I, I mean, there are times people ask for things that we, that's not within our power to give or our ability to give, but sometimes people don't know what they actually need. And so you, you, give, them, you give them what's available to you instead. Sometimes that's a encouraging word or a hug or a, 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 a gospeling moment, whatever it could be. So, but, you know, not that we, you know, don't be the guy who's like, you know, everybody you come across that needs a sandwich, you're just giving them a tract. I mean, that's, I don't know how helpful that is. So, like, we want to help people where they are to the best of our ability. But all of this is rooted in Jesus Christ, and so... At the bare minimum, let's let's offer them let's offer them Jesus. Um, I I just I, I think that if we become a church that is known for that level of love and generosity, like you guys know, like we have this kind of reputation as a church of of we when we take people we take prayer seriously like. Very common to see people huddled up in little pockets around the room praying for each other because we tend to be a group that doesn't say, you know, here's something and go, okay, I'll be praying for you and walk away. We tend to be a group that hears something and goes, hey, let me play, pray for you right now. And we, and we do that, and I love that about us. What if, what if we were just walking through life with friends and people in our community and they regular, regularly began to see us, see people with a need and just respond in those moments to that need. Like, I think it would catch people off guard. Like, do you do this all the time? Well, no, not all the time, but I just felt like I needed to do it for that person. And you know, I mean, like, we just, what, what if that witness went out into this community of, I, I ran into uh, a new neighbor the other day and was meeting her and, and you know, said something about the fact that I pastored at Living Hope and and uh, it's, it's a person who's never been in the doors of our church, but she was just like, oh my gosh, I love everybody that goes to your church. I hear so many good things about your church. And, uh, and so, you know, I, which just made me feel great. I love that. I love that. I love that we're getting that reputation in our community as, as, a, as a caring, compassionate church. And that's really the key. That's the key word right there is Compassion. I think we need to pray that God would give us a greater heart of compassion for people around us. Um, it's really easy to kind of pigeonhole people into categories or assign blame to people for the circumstances that they're in. That's so easy to do, so easy. But what we're called to do is actually set them free. And so what if we stop thinking about the reasons that they're in bondage and, and instead just 
began to see people as people in bondage that need to be set free. Um, maybe we can get to the reasons later. But for now, they just need to be set free. So I just want to, I, I hope, again, don't, I don't want a bunch of knee-jerk reactions. What I hope is that this sticks in your head for the rest of the week and you just commit it to prayer and that you begin to just pray, God, um, forgive me for pushing your voice out of my head so often that I barely hear it anymore and becoming numb to it. And instead, God, let me retune my ears to your voice. Um, give me compassion for the people that are around me. Break my heart for the things that break your heart. And help me to serve people. Like you're all, I mean, every single one of us, you mix with people every day in bondage. You mix with people every single day that are struggling to be set free in some way. You just have to be able to open up your eyes to see it. It could be that the ones that Jesus wanted sight recovered, the sight recovered to the blind, what if that was us? What if that was us? He was wanting to be able to begin to see the world around us the way it really is. So let's just be the kingdom, amen? Let's just be the kingdom. Let's be like Jesus in, in this way. And, and again, you can't solve it all, but, but that doesn't mean you can't solve any of it. Doesn't mean you can't solve any of it. So let's just do and go where we feel the Holy Spirit leading us to go. Let's do that. Let's uh, pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you for the example of your son Jesus, and we pray that we could live up to that example more than what we do. God, I pray that you would, again, just retune our ears to your spirit, and um, when there are people that we can help, that we can set free, God, I pray that you would just drive us crazy until we actually move on that direction from you. God, don't let us get off easy. Uh, we want to be your hands and feet to our community. We want to be your voice to those who need to hear hope. We want, we want, to, we want all of that. And so uh, we want to bring your kingdom to our community. So help us to do that just in, our, just in the natural rhythms of our life and the dropping off of our kids at school and the going our ways to to work and, and to school and to uh, interacting with our neighbors and at our little leagues and at our social gatherings and everything else that we do. God, just in our, even in our family gatherings, God, I pray that you would just help us to live out what you have modeled for us in the setting of people free, just in wherever we go, wherever we go. And so... Uh, I just offer myself to you one more time and just ask that you would just take me and use me. Use me in some way uh, to bring freedom to the captive. Um, and I, I just, I love you so much. I thank you for the way that you use us all. I thank you for the beauty that is our church. And, and we offer up that beauty and the ugliness of it too. 
and we just ask you to make us more like you. Transform us, continue to transform us into a church that, um, that just brings you glory. And so we give ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.